Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. Well, we're always uh, trying to angle a way to sell more books, and so we thought uh, <laughs> we thought a sequel to The Firm 30 years later might work. This is John Grisham, author of The Firm, The Pelican Brief, The Client, The Rainmaker, and on and on and on. All week long, we've been talking to authors who've gotten books adapted into movies, and you can't do that without talking to John Grisham. The Firm wasn't his first book, but it was the one that blew up his career. It got turned into a movie with Tom Cruise as hotshot lawyer Mitch McDeer trying to run from the FBI and the mob at the same time. I gotta get lost for a few hours. Something I gotta do. When the movie came out in 90, 30 years ago, in 93, I saw the movie three times the first week. Once was a premiere in New York, a premiere in Memphis, and a premiere in Oxford, Mississippi, where we were living at the time. And after three straight viewings, I, I, I got it. I knew what was going <laughs> I knew the story, knew what was going to happen. And I said, I'm really tired of this story. And so over the years, I would be surfing through the internet or, I mean, the, the cable channels, you know, and I'd see the firm. And I would uh, immediately keep going. I, just, I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't want to relive uh, that story. I, I, I never go back and read my books. I just can't do that. Now, three decades later, John Grisham has written a follow-up to the firm, and we'll hear more about it right after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Dive into the chilling new Hulu original series, Under the Bridge, the riveting adaptation of the acclaimed true crime book. Based on shocking true events, Under the Bridge tells the haunting story of a murder that lays bare a small community's darkest secrets. Go deep into the hidden world of the town's tormented teenagers as detectives race to solve the sinister crime. Starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone, Under the Bridge is now streaming with new episodes Wednesdays, only on Hulu. Okay, this follow-up to The Firm is titled The Exchange. Mitch goes globetrotting to deal with some contracts in Libya over a bridge. But before all that starts, there's this prelude of sorts where Mitch does some pro bono work for a man convicted of murder on death row who ends up killing himself. Grisham himself does advocacy work on behalf of wrongly convicted people in prison, but Mitch, in this part of the story, seems kind of tired, kind of jaded by the whole do-gooder process. How closely does that reflect your feelings on this, on that sort of work? Well, I've done a lot of um, uh, innocence work. Uh, as a writer, I've written one work of nonfiction called The Innocent Man. Mm-hmm. I've written... Uh, fictional stories about wrongful convictions. Uh, the Guardian comes to mind. The Confession comes to mind. Uh, it's a uh, it's something I work with almost every day. I'm on the board of the Innocence Project in New York, and Centurion Ministries, uh, based out of Princeton, and all we do is innocence work. Uh, there are thousands of innocent people in prison, and we're trying to help get them out. There are many, many innocence uh, initiatives and groups and nonprofits around the country. We, we coordinate with all of them. Uh, we're all in the same business trying to get innocent people out. And uh, that's just become a cause of mine, or not a cause, but an interest of mine since The Innocent Man, which was published in 2006. That book really took me into the world of wrongful convictions where I had never spent any time before. And I'm fascinated by it. Uh, fascinated because of the legal injustices, but also as a storyteller. Um, every wrongful conviction and exoneration is worthy of a book because of the tremendous uh, drama, conflict, suffering, injustice. You know, anytime you have 
a lot of um, injustice or suffering, you have great fiction. And those are wonderful stories, as sad as they are. Mm-hmm. And I've always been drawn to um, the those stories. I'm, I'm writing my second um, nonfiction book now. Hopefully it'll come out a year from now. It's called Framed, and it's um, a collection of 10 of my favorite, <laughs> favorite mm-hmm. wrongful conviction stories uh, involving inmates who were exonerated, men who were actually, and one woman, actually innocent, uh, yet spent 10, 20, 30 years in prison for somebody else's crime. That, that happens all the time. All the stories are fascinating, uh, but some are more fascinating than the others. And so I picked out uh, yeah, 10 of my favorites, 10, 10, you, 10 stories you cannot believe. When yeah. you read them, the, the initial reaction when people read these stories they say, this can't be true. This can't be true in this country. Tell me this is fiction. Well, I still get letters from people around the world who read The Innocent Man and say, this has got to be fiction. This can't be true, but it is true. It's hard to have faith in a system where, where something like this happens so often. You know, and I, I was wondering where you were on that, like since you do so much work on this topic. Yeah, you know, when I was a young lawyer, um, I had a lot of faith in the jury system. Um, I, I felt like juries usually do what's right uh, because of the uh, collected wisdom and experiences of twelve, uh, you know, average folks, and we're all average. Um, but I don't, I'm not so sure now. Uh, there, but so there's so many wrongful convictions. So many times, juries uh, are misled by the authorities they are supposed to trust. We're supposed to trust the police and the prosecutors. We, you know, we believe in those people, the judges. That's the system, and we want to believe that it always works, and it doesn't. Um, but after so many uh, reading, so many cases, and studying so many cases, and involved in so many cases, where the juries just brought back, you know, the wrong verdict, uh, I've got some doubts about the jury system. You know, it's funny, I was listening back to, I went into our archives, um, and I found this profile of you that we ran in 1994. Um, I think it, it was Noah Adams, he spoke to you. You were still living in Oxford. Yeah. Um, you think from the from the piece, it sounded like you guys were like did the interview from above a bookstore. We were at Square Books, uh, yeah. the upstairs at Square Books in Oxford, yeah. Yeah, and you say, you say a couple things that are kind of funny. Uh, and one thing, you were like, I, with Hollywood, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> I, yeah. I, it's like, it's like, wow! Like you knew you were, like where you were at the game, you know, yeah. at the time. And then you also said something similar. You said like, um, it was important for 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 you guys to not change. Right. Um, what What do you think has helped you not, uh, like? Not get your head big. Well, you know, what, what are you going to do? Uh, divorce your wife? Start using cocaine? Get alcohol? Go, go through rehab four times? What, what, what am I supposed to do to really, to really get some attention here? I mean, yeah. I'm not that kind of person. You know, speaking of Hollywood, uh, I, I probably said that in 1994, and I probably meant it. It's been 15 years since we had a movie made now. Uh, the difference between now and then is astonishing. Uh, back then, it was automatic. The first five or six movies were... You know, big box office hits with big, uh, famous actors, actresses, uh, directors. Uh, I, I, I didn't do it. I just wrote the book. Mm-hmm. But we got great screenwriters, and, and these these movies all uh, did well, you know, in the domestic market, the foreign markets, and everybody made a lot of money. And for some reason, that model doesn't work today. 
it just it just doesn't work with Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, twenty years ago they started making they want, they want to pour all their money into you know cartoons and Spider Man Ten stuff like that, and they make very few um, very few smart adult dramas. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, that's one reason. There are a bunch of reasons, but. Um, my, I'm not nearly as cocky about Hollywood <laughs> as I was in 1994. I can promise you. Yeah, it does. It does strike me. So, like when people bemoan the state of the of the Hollywood industry today, right? And they say like, "Oh, they don't make movies like they used to." What they're talking about are like the kind of movies that are based on your books, right? Like the that sort of mid budget. You know, not super expensive, but not right. like dirt cheap, right. but still gripping, but like doesn't have a bunch of explosions and. and Dudes taking their shirts off. I don't know why. I, I mean, I really don't know why they can't find a market um, for the for the for the movie that costs only a hundred million. Yeah, uh, and, the, and the and the firm cost seventy five million thirty years ago. Uh, I think firm Pelican Brief Client Time to Kill uh, Rainmaker. They were all pretty much in that range, fifty to a hundred million to make. And they both, you know, grossed a whole lot more than that around the world. Um, but again, they, I think the mentality. Again, I, I, I do not pretend to explain or to tell you what the mentality of Hollywood is. It's it's it's, it's not defined by any one person, studio, company, whatever. It's just a whole industry. And now all the you know all the attention has shifted to television in the past twenty years, mm-hmm. and we've all enjoyed that. We all have our great shows that we binge on and. Enjoy watching, and but because everything shifted that way, there's a bit, there's a glut now, the glut of you know far too many TV shows, and and maybe just maybe we're going back to the old fashioned movie. I don't know. The truth of it is, I've stopped worrying about it. I cannot do anything today to get the exchange made into a movie. If I gave the film rights to a studio, if I wrote the screenplay for free. Uh, if I did all that, it would not move the ball down the field. I, I, I'm not a filmmaker, don't want to be, I'm not a producer. So I don't, that's not my world. Uh, so, I, you know, if you can't control something, don't worry about it. And I've stopped worrying and, and a long time ago. I stopped the frustration a long time ago. And all I can do is write the best book possible, the best book I can. And hopefully somebody will read it and say, we can adapt this into a really good movie. I would love to see all of my books adapted to film because we all love a good movie. Mm-hmm. The, so I take it, it, you know, this ennui that you're feeling about like what what else, what, what else can you do um, it was hard earned. So were you sort of like frustrated? Was there a time when you were banging your head against the wall and it just wasn't happening? I didn't bang my head, but I threw some screenplays into the fireplace. Uh, you know, re- reading a bad screenplay that that was expected to be good, uh, or or one that was written by, you know, a talented screenwriter, uh, sent by a director that we had confidence in, and it's a bad screenplay. Uh, I've had that frustration many times uh, to the point where I stopped reading screenplays. And um, but again, those are. That's water under the bridge. I'm just, I'm no longer worried about, we, we have we have half a dozen uh, books under contract right now uh, for for film and for television. Um, they, they, they're all option deals. Mm-hmm. They'll pay you, 
you know, some money for an 18-month option, and the option the options always expire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get the rights back, and we try to sell it again. That's been going on for 10 years. And uh, so, you know, again, that 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 could be very frustrating. And it was very frustrating for a while when I let it be frustrating, and then I stopped worrying about it. Mm-hmm. Are you are you like tired at all? Like you, you have this like grind of a schedule, and I just imagine you you've never been like, well, maybe let's take like a year or two off. No, you know what? It it uh, it's not nearly as hectic as I make it look um, because because people people are always asking for something. There's always somebody, you know, wanting something, whether it's a whether it's a speech, a trip, a, an award, a festival, a book signing, a tour, um, whatever, a fundraiser, and uh, there, there are a lot of demands. Uh, but most people think I'm just extremely busy and exhausted, so they don't ask. Uh, so <laughs> the ones who do ask apologize for asking, and most folks just leave me alone. And so, when, but when I want, when I don't want to do something, I say, "Look, you know, I'm, I'm just I, I'm far too busy for that. I may have nothing on the calendar, but I'll just say if I, if I don't want to do it, I don't, I don't do it. I just I'm way too. I'd love to, but I'm busy. Yeah. Uh, you just like, oh, let me check the calendar. Oops, sorry. Yeah, sorry, I got a My conflict. Bad. Yeah. Got a conflict. Ah, I wish I could help you out. So <laughs> I wish I could help you. Out. Uh, yeah, and you know, I'm published in 55 languages, which is just about the whole world. I can't name them all, but that covers pretty much the whole world and so I just tell people well I'd love to be there but I'm in Australia that week and uh, you know that's the same language and they, they buy it every time <laughs> or I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Sweden next month I, you okay. know that day I'm sorry I can't do it and people buy it every time well John Christian thank you so much thank you my pleasure Listen to Embedded for moments that stay with you. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Voices that resonate. <laughs> Stories that change the way you think about your life. How, how did we get here? The Embedded podcast is NPR's home for original documentary series. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, the satisfying sounds of more sales in your business. And from the sound of it, your business is growing. But you shouldn't have to pay more to scale your business. With Stamps.com, you can import orders from wherever you sell online, find the lowest rates with the fastest delivery times, and instantly deliver tracking updates to your customers and stock up on supplies. Get started at Stamps.com today with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. When the economic news gets to be a bit much... Listen to The Indicator from Planet Money. We're here for you, like your friends, trying to figure out all the most confusing parts. One story, one idea, every day. All in 10 minutes or less. The Indicator from Planet Money, your friendly economic sidekick. From NPR.